Everyone and welcome to Ladies Night, the official podcast of US Chess Women. I'm your host Jennifer Shahadi and you are listening to the artist Huga of hugamusica.com and that is a song that certainly captured my heart. Oh Capablanca. His bishop was small. Thanks to everyone who supports the podcast through shares and reviews and Apple Live. If you want to get more involved in all we do at US Chess to empower girls and women through chess, please consider a tax-deductible donation of any size to our US Chess Women program and reach out to me with any questions. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Ladies Night. This is Jennifer Shahadi, and today I have a special guest who has inspired me for a very long time. Hailing from Ecuador, Martha Fierro is an international master, women's grandmaster, FIDE vice president, international organizer, and two-time Olympic medalist. Is that right, Martha? Two times, or did you win even more? No, two times, yes. 96 in 2008. She has also represented her country, Ecuador, in the Open Division and has been Sports Person of the Year for her many international as well as Ecuadorian and Pan American titles. She's the founder and head trainer of the Martha Fierro International Chess Academy, and she also brings chess into underserved neighborhoods in Ecuador via the Ares en tu Barrio program. On a personal note, Martha is one of my favorite personalities in chess because of her enthusiasm for the game and her total lack of pretension. When I was just 1,300 and about 12 or 13 years old, and I was on the fence about how seriously I was going to take chess, I remember seeing Martha at a tournament in Washington, D.C. She was already a chess master, and I thought she was very, very cool. I was right about that. Nonetheless, she still took time between the games, despite our big rating differential, to mentor me and tell me about her adventures as an Olympic champion. And she really treated me as an equal, despite being such a beginner compared to her. And I really think of that as very formative. And it just goes to show you how a champion can make such a difference in somebody's life with a small gesture. So thank you very much, Martha, for that tournament in Washington, D.C. Um, some years ago and for coming on the podcast today. Thank you very much for the introduction. I feel very honored, very You know, I remember this tournament in Washington. It was fantastic. It was very nice to meet you. And I remember, yeah, you were around 1,300. But I think after one or two years, you were already 21, 2,200. I mean, it was amazing also how you improved so fast. And and I saw you in many tournaments after that. So, you know, chess brings a friendship from different parts of the world. Chess does a lot. Yeah, I'm very happy I got to meet you. I'm very happy that I continue with chess. You know, chess is our life. It's my life. I love it. And I'm happy to, to share it with uh, many children, adults. I mean, it, it, I just love chess. That shows. Your enthusiasm for the game is so infectious. 
Uh, and it's funny that we met at around the time that I was 12 or 13, because as I understand it, you learned chess a little bit later than most Olympic champions and great champions. Um, tell us a little bit about when you first started out and how you were able to catch up with people who learned when they were in diapers. Look, Jen, this is a fun story. Okay, I started to learn chess when I was around 13 years old. My father taught me how to move the pieces. But, you know, he only knew how to move the pieces, but he was giving me scholar mate all the time. He was not telling me how to protect myself from scholar mate. So he, he was really a beginner. But, uh, okay, after I learned some more moves, and uh, I started to go to a chess academy in Guayaquil. And, and then I started to improve a little bit more and more and more in chess. And then I started to, to play tournaments in the United States. So United States was my key place to improve chess. I was going all the time to Marshall and Manhattan Chess Club. I was playing many tournaments. And to tell you the truth, uh, people were always very friendly with me. They were analyzing games with me, uh, masters, and then, uh, you know, I was playing all the time. And and this is how I started uh, to play chess. And, and to tell you the truth, also at the same time, I was competing uh, internationally in swimming as well for, for Ecuador. So in one moment, I had to choose before uh, between swimming and chess, and I chose chess. And when I started to play in, nine, when was it, 1991, I think, or 1990, I remember I played in 1991 the first regional women's championship, and there were nine games, and I lost all nine games, you know? <laughs> And I was like, oh, my God, can I be so bad for chess? I was thinking to myself, you know, and, and, and I said, it's not possible to lose all games, you know. So I remember after that, we went to the United States and we went to New York and I started to play in the, at the clubs. Like after school, I was playing every tournament, every tournament, every tournament. Then the next year, 1992, I went back to Ecuador and I won the regional women championship and then I won the national women championship. So after that year, I I be number one rated woman player in Ecuador until the moment. So uh, I think it happened because of the first result I had. I had nine losses, so I had to make a decision: oh, probably quick chess or maybe prove myself that I could play chess. But the problem was that I was not. I didn't have any training and experience, so I chose the, the right way, I mean, to play, to train, to practice, and it brought results. That's fascinating. So because you had such a bad result, you weren't able to stagnate. You had to, like, either dramatically improve or get the heck out. It was traumatic because I said, okay, not even, you know, one draw. <laughs> but it gave me a lot of strength that because it was, it, I could not be in the middle. I had to. In my, in, my, in my personality, I had to decide if I was too bad for chess and then I could not, I, I should stay with swimming or I should prove myself that it was only because the girls in the tournament, the women in the tournament were more experienced, had many more years playing chess. So if I could catch up, I could win. So I always like, you know, the competition and I like to prove myself. So I went on and then this is how I, in chess until the moment. So you chose chess, but did you, you still did swimming for fun, I take it, or not competitively, but... 
Yes, I, I swim a lot, not competitive, but the other day, you know, my, a former swimming coach told me, come on, we should, you should start training and then just compete on seniors, you know, <laughs> and swim. And I said, well, it's not a bad, bad idea because even though I stopped swimming uh, in competition, I always go and watch the competition because I still feel my heart a bit, you know, it's something that you, I will never forget as well. It's, it's this uh, feeling that I had before going into a swimming race. Yeah. What do you think the similarities are between swimming and jazz? Well, in both of them, you have to go, you know, concent- you have to concentrate a whole, uh, let's say, in uh, competition. In the, it depends, you know, which stroke and everything. But you have to concentrate and you have to fight until the end. Because it happens also in swimming that maybe you think or you start looking around to see if you have a lot of advantage uh, against your other other swimmers swimmers and then you lose time by looking and then they pass you so you have to just concentrate in the race and go 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 all the time especially the end with all your effort you know this in, in the chess is the same stuff because you can start winning chess but if you don't concentrate until, until then you can lose the game so this is the same thing in swimming in swimming you also need a lot of strategy because if you are doing a long uh, swimming race you cannot just go from the beginning with all your effort because you will be very tired at the end. You can start in a nice pace, you know, race uh, rhythm. And then at the end, let's say the last hundred meter, you just go with everything, no? So the, it depends also in, in which, uh, how many meters you are competing. And it's also, it's a strategy as well. The one thing I can tell you is that the tiredness I felt after a chess game doesn't compare at all with uh, how I felt tired in swimming in the, in the sense that after a long chess game, I feel much more tired physically than swimming 400 meters or there's no, no comparison, you know? <laughs> so it's exciting. It's exciting. Also when you're swimming, you, you are thinking to yourself, okay, come on, let's go, let's go. You can do it. You, you are very good in, in the chess game. You also sometimes in some position you are thinking, Okay, I'm going to defend. I'm going to defend. I'm going to defend from this attack, and then I'm going to wait until he makes a mistake, and I'm going to win. So there are many things that are similar. You know, I was on my swim team as well, and I was a pretty good swimmer, especially was a really good kicker. But one thing that I was really bad at was transition. So I was always like just very conservative about diving into the water. I was always afraid, and then when I had to flip. I think I cracked my tooth once. So in general, I was just, I always lost a lot of time. I would be keeping pace and then I would lose pace after that, which I think is kind of an interesting analogy because in so many activities in life, it's the transitions that are so important, making them smooth, whether it's writing or whether it's chess itself, transitioning to the end game from the middle game. And uh, of course, from the opening to the middle game. So you learned chess when you were 13 and you got better very quickly. So we actually have kind of parallel stories even though I learned the moves when I was very young, I didn't really get into into chess until I was 13. And your mother played a big influence in your chess career as well, right? My mother was the one who took me to the chess club. She was all the time, you know, waiting for me during the tournaments and then uh, doing everything that's possible for me to compete internationally because also that represented a lot of economical resources because I had to fly, I had to pay hotel, I had to pay uh, trainers. I mean, she was there for many years. And did she play chess as well? 
well, she knows how to move the pieces, but she tried at one moment to, to, to concentrate more in chess, but she didn't have really time to play any tournament, but she, she loves it. I, she's in love with chess. You know, she's this type of person that is not really playing chess, but she just loves how the, the, the chess environment, what chess gives you. So sometimes she watches the games that they, you comment and then the other other people comment and from world championships and matches. She I'm sure she doesn't really understand exactly what's going on, but she just loves how the pieces move. She loves chess. When you were 13, you didn't love chess right away because you had this terrible result and but then you started to fall in love with the game. What do you think it was that made you fall in love with the game? Was it a book or a type of tactic or a particular win? I like this this feeling, you know, I, and I like about chess that all the time there was something new that was coming up and that uh, there were some situations that it seems that you were completely, you know, lost and then you were you were waiting of how to to fight back, you know, and, and you had this fighting back opportunity and you and you overturned the game. So this feeling, this adrenaline, uh, I, I started to love it after one year that I started to play chess. Because this is when I started to uh, understand a little bit more. Uh, I love that feeling. And also the opportunity to meet more people from different cultures, nationalities. This was also amazing. Because I remember I was going to play, for example, New York Open. And I saw so many people from other countries that I never saw in Ecuador. You know, and, and it, it, was, it was amazing. And then after, I started to see other girls as well playing chess. There were not so many when I started. When I played in New York Open, I remember it was 1992 or 1993. There were not so many girls or women playing the tournament. At the beginning, you know, it was a little bit difficult because I got too much attention because I was a girl playing in an open tournament. So there was some kind of pressure. Or I felt, you know, I was trying to play my game and I saw I don't know, 100 people watching my game. This g- gave me a lot of pressure. But at one moment, I, I learned how to manage this. At first, it was, it was difficult because I never got this much attention, you know, in swimming or in school or nothing, no? That really resonates for sure. And you learned not only how to manage it, but how to revel in it and succeed. Um, not everybody can do that. Um, clearly not because so few women play chess. So if everybody was able to revel in that, then we would have a lot more women in the game. Now, one thing I noticed is that in Ecuador, there's actually a high percentage of female players compared to a lot of other countries in the world. The FIDE statistic I saw was 25%, which is is really pretty um, high compared to like the United States where it's kind of like 14, 12, 12 to 14%, let's say. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, why do you have a higher percentage of females in Ecuador playing? I think it has to do because we had good uh, role women, girls role model that played chess. Because I remember when I started to play chess, there was a world champion under ten in that moment. That was uh, her name is Evelyn Moncayo. You know her yes. probably, Jen. and. And she was my role model, even though she's younger than me. When I started to play, I was 13, 14, and she was nine years old, but she won this Girls World Championship under 10. And after that, we started to get a lot of results in the in Pan American con- Continental Tournaments. Also in the Olympias, we got other medals, not only my medals. So I think she was a role model for, for us. 
in Ecuador, more women have good results than men. I mean, in, when we play at Olympia, we, we sometimes place, I don't know, 25, 27, in, which is a very good place for our team because the average rating is not so high. And, but in the open section, usually Ecuador places 70 in the open section. So it's it's a big, big difference. And I, I think it has to do a lot with the role models we got at the, uh, many years ago. And then we we have a lot of ladies playing. But in socially, this is something I, I have to understand because I don't understand why. Because even, even though in Ecuador, socially, it's changing, but, but there's still this idea that chess is a game for men, no? And also, we have this social barrier uh, that when you are 13, 14, and you don't have, if you don't have support from your family, it's impossible for you to travel because it's, they would never leave a 14, 15-year-old girl to play a tournament in another city. So even though we have this culture still, thanks to all the competitions that girls and women have won in Ecuador, the family are changing their mind and they're supporting. Now we see many girls going around with their families to play chess. And, but we have to increase women coaches as well, women arbiters. There's many things to do. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I, by the way, I had another great Ecuadorian champion on this podcast about a year ago, Carla Heredia Serrano. And uh, so you have so many great female players from Ecuador. And of course, I know Evelyn. Evelyn is wonderful. And in my book, Chess Queens, she told me about how, as you were talking about, how it was difficult for her at some stage. She won the world championship under 10. By the way, I think that was the same year that Judah Polgar won the overall section for, it might've been under 12 or under 14. Um, and Evelyn was very impressed by that, of course, as we all were. Um, she talked about that, how that that's difficult. The traveling alone was was just not acceptable for a young woman. And that meant that if you didn't have the financial resources to send your whole family, very difficult to improve at a certain age. You know, about Evelyn, she won the same year uh, our tennis champion, Andres Gomez, won Roland Garros, which is a very important tennis championship. And because of that, unfortunately, winning this tournament for him was easier to promote tennis than, than chess. I mean, we, in this in this sense, we had we had uh, we, we were not so lucky because maybe if we, it was one year before, I'm pretty sure with her win, chess will be very, very promoted, even better in Ecuador. But now we, we are prom- promoting a lot. We have a lot of chess in the school, even, even in public schools. And then we have uh, authorities that like chess. So I think it's going to increase a lot and we're going to have a better chess country. And when you told me about one of your most memorable experiences in Chess Queens, you told me about the time that you were elected sports person of the year ahead of Olympic medalists and that that was like a really meaningful moment of you, for you to have like the, the real support and love of Ecuador. It was because, you know, I got the title of woman grandmaster and I won a, a, the, the silver medal in the Chess Olympiad. And this was a boom also in Ecuador. So this also motivated more girls to play chess and women than, than, than boys. Uh, they, keep, they kept the improving. They, they were giving a lot of support, private sponsorship, and the government support as well. So I think this is the reason why we have a lot of ladies uh, playing chess in, in Ecuador. Still not as many as men, not even the 
50%, but in general, statistically, in other countries, they have less. Yeah, I think in FIDE, the overall percentage is like 12%. So having double of that is pretty remarkable, 25%. Um, a lot of people will be looking to you guys for tips. Now, beyond uh, your achievements as a player, you also are an organizer and a promoter. And one of your recent programs is really interesting to me. I mentioned in the intro, Ajedrez in tu Barrio. And that's where you're bringing chess to neighborhoods all over Ecuador. And it sounds like it's a pretty meaningful one to you. Can you tell me a little bit about how that works? You teach the children directly, but you also um, teach uh, leaders in the, in the area, in the barrio, to be able to um, teach like year long, right? It's, you know, it's even the having it taking my time for playing chess and then just really concentrating on the project because it's, it's so fantastic. Okay, first thing, in 2015, I had an important sport position in Ecuador. It's a minister in zone in five different regions, Minister of Sports. So because of this, I got the opportunity to visit a lot of neighborhoods and a lot of places. And I saw so many places that needed so much support. During my period as in this position, I did many projects, even chess as well, but not only chess, because uh, I had to promote all sports, not only chess, no? But I, I, I got good relationship from all these neighborhoods with the leaders from these different neighborhoods. So uh, when I came back to, to Ecuador in last year, I started this project. So the idea of these projects, first step is to contact leaders in very vulnerable neighborhoods, neighborhoods where there's a lot of criminal raids, there's family problems, there's micro-traffic, okay, there's many things. And I got in contact with these leaders, and then I asked them to help me work, let's, to work together with them, and then coordinate to, to get a space to do a chess academy there. But the first step was to get young, young people from 18 to 35 approximately, Kids that wanted to become chess teachers, chess coaches, even though if they didn't know anything about chess. So I got a group in each neighborhood and I taught them how to play chess. And then I taught them also how to teach and gave them material of how I think is the best way to, oh, based on my experience, you know. So these kids, I certificate them uh, through my academy as monitors of the program, as coaches of the, of the program, and they are the ones who go and teach in these neighborhoods, in their own neighborhoods, to children. My academy, Academia Marta Fierro, and myself, we go to support them in teaching because they are just, learn, they're just it's their first experience as, as coaches, no? So and we're always there, we support the coaches, we're also, for, also teaching, and they teach their own the kids from their own neighborhoods. So this is a nice thing about the project. And these young kids, young adults, are being paid. What we do in this project is we give them some kind of income so they will not have to do other stuff. And we are teaching them to become trainers. In maybe a few years, they can become trainers of uh, regional federations, maybe schools, maybe let, even the National Federation. Who knows if they continue teaching like this? This is our goal, to help young adults. And at the same time, 
We're helping the kids from the neighborhood. And the kids feel very happy to be taught from people of their own neighborhood. So this is a win-win situation. And we have done this in many neighborhoods that tell you the truth, some of them, not even the police want to enter. But I feel so, so nice in this neighborhood. And I feel very secure in this neighborhood because people there are very happy. We go there. They, 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 they know we, we really want to support help. And not, we not only teach chess, but also we, we get a sponsorship from different companies and we bring some goods as well. So apart from teaching, learning chess, they also get some products like maybe pasta, drinks, sandwich. So we help them also in another way because many of them don't have, maybe they eat one time per day. If they do eat one time per day, this is why I love this project so much. And you should see how happy they are. I organized the first championship of Ajedrez en tu Barrio on December 18th. I was surprised that, okay, I was I was waiting there for the buses with the kids to arrive. And then from one neighborhood, especially when they arrived, they all, you know, run to hug me, you know. It's amazing how how you feel because, you know, the kids, when they really want to, they do it, you know, <laughs> they, they, they did it because they are very happy. And that was the way to thank me. Thank us because it's not only me. It's just, there's a team uh, working in this project. And I do have to say that Ecuador has been very welcoming to this project. They're very happy. The media is all the time We're going to to do interviews to the kids and then pictures and it's going to the main newspapers and, and also TV. And in this 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 project, the idea is you know to support the kids to start thinking as well. I wrote one thing, uh, something like "Un país que piensa es un país que avanza." In English, should be a country that thinks. It's a country that moves forward. So I'm teaching, we are teaching the kids to think so that in the future, nobody will try to convince them of some stuff. There will be kids that will, will think and, and decide which is the best decision. My goal is not to get champions, which we will get, because if statistically, if we teach us everywhere, there's, that we're going to have champions after a few years. But my idea is just to teach the kids to think through chess and show them that in Ecuador, they have opportunities as well because many people, some people think, oh, there's no opportunity and they go out from the country. So, but here I got opportunity through chess. Now I want to give kids opportunity also through chess, but here in Ecuador, in their country. I mean, it sounds like so much fun. I want to come visit and, uh, go to some of these places with you and help people learn chess. Now, I have to ask, I, I think that they're probably so happy to see you because you're quite famous in Ecuador, right? Most of them recognize you from advertisements because you've looked the same for 25 years. And I know <laughs> you, were in, you were on the big advertisement on every bus in Ecuador at some point, right? Yes. Before, before the, in the movie theaters, I was, I was uh, before each movie, you know, I was with a TV commercial. Mostly in Quito, even though Guayaquil is my city, it's incredible in Quito, everybody recognizes me. But here in Guayaquil, a lot of people, but more in, in Quito, which I'm surprised because I'm from Guayaquil. Most of the time I'm in Guayaquil, but no, it's, it's, it's fantastic because you feel 
the love of people. And then that shows that, okay, they're very proud that you represent the country. And this is what the kids can, can feel after a few years away because these kids can represent their country. They can get opportunities to go to university without paying thanks to a scholarship, for example. There's many universities here or in the States. You know, there's a lot. But here in Ecuador as well, also school, not only university. Here in Ecuador, if you are regional champion or even scholastic champion, you get a percentage of discount in private schools. We do have also public schools as well, but you have, you get support if you win. That is an incredible reason to keep playing chess. I, I tell people a lot of people drop out in junior high and high school, and I think that's understandable. People, you know, follow their passion at that age. So I get it. Whereas earlier in life, a lot of times they're doing what their parents want them to do. But I wish more girls, especially, and really all genders would stick with it because I think that chess is such a stamp of intelligence. And if you go for your junior high and your high school and you stick with it, job opportunities, private school for college, which is rarely paid for in the United States, it really can help you with the scholarships. So I, I love what you're doing. And I also really wanted to put a pin in what you said about paying people for the teaching because. I really prefer models that recognize the labor that it is to teach a group full of children, because that makes it more sustainable, right? When you're recognizing people for their time. You do have a daughter who is amazing and apparently plays chess. How important it was it to you that your daughter plays chess? Or did you just want to make sure that she at least tried it out? No, okay. I taught them, I taught her how to move the pieces. She's so me all the time with chess, playing in the computer or going to this project, which I take her and she helps me teach uh, in the project. And I just wait until she tells me that when she wants to play chess because she sees so much chess that I don't want her to, to get burned because of chess, chess, chess. So whenever she wants to, to learn chess, for me to teach her to play, she comes to me and I'm happy to teach her. And, and she loves chess. Is that her favorite sport, though? What's her favorite? Taekwondo. Ah, Taekwondo. Oh, very cool. That's a good combination with chess, actually, because, you know, you got one physical, but they're both mental. Mm -hmm. And of course, as you mentioned earlier, chess is much more physical than a lot of people think. You know, sometimes I play in a platform online and my, my daughter is playing on her iPad, the same, you know, in the same platform. And <laughs> no, she loves chess. She plays, she plays good. I don't tell her, you know, come on, let's practice. Whenever she's ready, then we play a lot together. No? Regarding what you were saying before about the coaches being paid, Jen, the thing is that I see it as a way to save these young adults because they have a lot of difficulties to get a job. And then they're very happy to get an income and to teach children from their own neighborhood. And they feel they're making a difference. They, they feel that they're really helping the kids. So I'm pretty sure this project will help the young adults and the kids to be better citizens, better people. So this is, this is the main, main idea of reimbursing the trainers. Yeah, definitely. That's a great way to look at it, that you're, you know, helping the teachers and you're also helping the students at the same time. And you know, you look at it that way, um, you can have something that's sustainable and like just helps generations. Very beautifully put. It's free for the kids, completely, 100%. They don't pay anything. And when the, when I organize an event, I get buses to go and pick them up, all of them. They don't even have income to take a bus. 
many times they have to stay home because they ha- they cannot even go to school because they don't have money to pay for a bus. So that's why we get buses and arrange to get transportations for them when we have an event. And, and then the project is called Ajedrez and to Barrio because we go to the barrios, we go to the neighborhoods. They don't have to pay any money to, for transportation or for other stuff. You know, many times after school is over, kids don't have anything to do. And so it's, it's a good thing to, to use their time in learning chess and playing chess than, than other things. I have to ask you about something you told me in an interview many years ago. It was in Chess Queens. You wrote about, obviously, you love traveling. You were, are a very popular player on the tour. So many friends. And you mentioned to me that sometimes um, it was hard for you to balance like all the fun of a tournament and playing as hard as you possibly could. And you mentioned to me that in Ecuador, you have an expression that the years between 17 and 21 are called the El Burro years, where young people love to have fun. La edad del burro. (laughs) El burro. Because, you know, you want to discover the world at that age, you know, well, this is the, the age when you start and then you, you like to learn new stuff. And especially, in, you know, in chess tournaments, you travel all around the world. You see different countries and different cultures. And, and, you, and through chess, you, you meet so many people. So it was, it, it was very difficult to keep, you know, just looking at the chess pieces. I mean, it was, it was very nice to, to, to go and speak to a friend and then to meet the places and to try different foods. I think it's something that makes you rich as well, you know, all of this knowledge. And that's why I, I think chess is a fantastic opportunity to, for everybody. And that's why we're giving this project to the kids, because I'm pretty sure a few of them, or maybe all of them, or I don't know, but they're going to have this opportunity, opportunity through chess. And what is the favorite place that you've ever been through chess? The place where I was more amazed because it was so different to other countries was China. It was so different in all ways, you know, even, even the traditional Chinese food was so different. I never, I love Chinese food. When you go to China, to Nanjing or other places, you, you eat traditional Chinese food, which is very different from international. And so China, I loved a lot. And then I, I like also Abu Dhabi. I liked a lot. There are many places. I mean, all of them have something beautiful. But one country I'm in love with after Ecuador and United States, it's Switzerland. I love Switzerland because, you know, there's so much green and everything so organized. And, and I love it. I love this country. But, but all countries have something beautiful. Oh, and fun fact, which I'm sure if I don't get into this interview, Ed Gonzalez, our future, our, our mutual friend is going to be upset about that. You were actually born in the United States. You were born in Rhode Island. So if you, if you ever want to run for president, <laughs> you do have that, uh, that birthplace. And tell us about, about that. You were born in Rhode Island, but you, didn't, you spent a few years in the United States before moving to Ecuador? I was born in this, yeah, Rhode Island. And then after a few months, or not even one year, uh, I went to Ecuador. And I was raised in Ecuador. Then I was back in the States when I was eight, nine years old for two years, three years. And I was back again when I was 14 because of chess. And I was going back and forth from Ecuador to the States. The United States was my key country for my chess, 100%. You know, I had opportunity there to play. 
I had so many people that supported me uh, free. You know, I was playing chess and then after I was analyzing a game and then masters were coming and then they were helping me how to analyze the game. So, and, and then also I really love how the tournaments were organized. I had a fantastic memories of my chess career thanks to the United States. That's wonderful. That makes me feel so happy that U.S. chess was a really great experience for you, the American chess scene. I love that. Experiencing it was a key for my chess strength. Like I told you, you know, after I, I, I learned to play chess here, I went to the States for one year and then I came back and I won the national championship already. So it was, all my training was there. And you mentioned earlier that Evelyn Mankaya was, was one of your role models, even though she was younger than you when you first started. But after that, in addition, did you have any favorite players, female and male, that you could point out for us? Yes, Judith. Judith is fantastic. As a friend, as a lady, she's just fantastic. She's, you know, she's a role model for everybody. She was always, you know, my, my idol. And I remember the first time I met her, you know, I was like, oh, my God, Judith. <laughs> oh, I see her. You know, I was, I was, I was uh, starting many of her games before meeting her, before, before seeing her in the first Chess Olympia. And I remember seeing her pass in front of me. I was like, oh, my God. And then we became good friends. And it's fantastic how many languages she speaks. Oh, my God. She speaks very good Spanish. She speaks like seven more languages. So this is another thing that chess helps, you know. You go all around the world and you learn different languages. When I went to Brazil, that was the first tournament that I played for the United States internationally. And I remember there was you and Jorge Samor Hasbun and a bunch of other amazing um, young players from South America, Central America. Jorge was already playing for the United States, but of course he was fluent in Spanish. And you were all telling these jokes in Spanish and falling off your chairs. And there I was, and I couldn't understand anything. And I got to tell you, when I, <laughs> when I went back to the United States, I was getting straight A's in Spanish. I knew, I knew more than everyone because it really was a motivation to me to like learn the language. Like I can participate in this conversation and without it, I can't. There's no motivation like that. Thank you so much for giving me this time, Martha. It's like been amazing and it makes me miss you, of course, and miss uh, the travel as, in the last couple of years, there's been less of that, but I'm very proud of all the great work that you're doing in Ecuador and Ajedrez in tu barrio. It just sounds absolutely brilliant and congratulate you on all that work. And thank you for joining me on Ladies Night. How can we stay updated on you? I have social media, Facebook, and my name on Facebook is Marta Fierro. On Instagram as well, Martica Fierro, if I'm not mistaken. And then on Twitter, I wanted to also tell you that in one of the neighborhoods where I teach chess, I got to do a special pilot project that all the players, uh, all the kids there do one hour of soccer, one hour of football, you know, soccer, and one hour of chess. So they do a lot of physical sport and they do strategical sport, that is chess. You know? So this is also a very nice combination. And I have in this, in this point, in this neighborhood, I have around 300 children there. And I, we just started, when was it? In August or something, something like this. I'm going to send you some pictures so you will see. It's lovely. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, totally. Send me a picture. And I'll send you a picture of Chess Queens because there's a beautiful photo of you in it. And so I'm sure the girls that you teach are, are going to love to see you. Thank you very much. Martika Fierro on Twitter. I have dressed in Dubario. 
It's been a pleasure to reconnect with you, Martha. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jennifer. All the best and keep up the good work. You are doing a lot to promote women chess in the United States. I know that you are going to do an important jump of the amount of girls that are playing chess. I've seen you, you do a lot of camps also, and then you get other women ladies uh, role models to, to support this project. So it's fantastic. And, and also come with my support in anything you need. Oh, yes. I would love to have you speak to our girls club at some point. Projects like yours are very, very meaningful to them. I have a video, but it's in Spanish, that I interviewed the, the youngest participant of the project. is a girl. She just turned four. You know, and I ask her a few questions. She likes chess. She said yes and all this stuff. No, but in one moment, I tell her, what will you say to other kids so the other kids will be interested in chess and they will start playing? And so she was so fantastic. And you see how innocent she she was. And then so spontaneously, she said, well, because I'm going to become world champion and then they can become as well, you know? So this is also a way for them to, to see the... If they follow the right path, they can achieve anything they want. I believe it. You know, watch out, Magnus. <laughs> well, thanks again, Martha Fierro, uh, international master, FIBE vice president. So many titles to her name, but then she's spending so much of her work also giving back to allow other people to pursue their dreams as well. And we love to see it. If you like what we're doing at US Chess to encourage women and girls to explore STEM fields, accentuate competence, and approach an even ratio with a focus on intersectionality, your donation to our US Chess Women programs is always appreciated and tax deductible. The US Chess Suite of podcasts, including Ladies Night, are produced and edited by Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media. Please visit sevenseasonfilms.com to find out how to start your own podcast. Don't forget to listen and subscribe to all U.S. chess podcasts from One Move at a Time, Cover Stories, and The Chess Underground. Till next time, may every night be ladies' night. Now according to Sockfish, I got it all wrong. After slightly Capablanco, you tell me we learn more from our defeats. Who needs victory?